Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Yoga Birth Babies. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and today we're going to talk about something very near and dear to my heart, as well as many other mothers, sleep and sleep training in particular. So we have Jessica Shapley here, and... First of all, I am going to say that hey, Jess, okay. that she was a sleep consultant for both my kids, and I, I truly believe she turned my world around as well as my husband's. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Jess. For over 14 years, Jessica Shapley has helped hundreds of parents care for their children and themselves by providing counseling and supported services to groups, individuals, and families. As a licensed social worker and mother of two, Jessica brings her personal and professional experience as well as her passion to everything she does. Jessica earned her bachelor degree in psychology from Boston University and her master's of social work from Columbia University. She is certified in integral health counseling, massage therapy, and is certified to teach infant massage. For the last 16 years, Jessica has been a sought-after sleep consultant here in New York City where she lives with her husband and two children. Welcome, Jess. I'm so glad to have you on here. Me too. Thanks, Deb. Thank you. So, sleep. It is a very hot topic with new parents, and I often feel there's a lot of comparison and, you know, maybe even judgment around sleep Mm -hmm. and sleep training. So can Mm -hmm. you explain why someone would want to sleep train or maybe why they would choose not to? Okay. Or even what it is. Maybe I should back up and be like, what is sleep training? Well, sleep training can mean a whole bunch of things, and it's somewhat self-defined. Um, I think though, mostly what it is, um, especially for a new family or a family with a, with a baby, um, it's sleep training is an attempt to restore some order in your family's life. Um, it's, uh, an attempt to create some balance with your partner, um, it's some of the first um, acts of some limit setting or boundary setting as a parent. Um, and it's also about the health and well, your own health and well-being and your, the health and well-being of your child or your baby. So it's um, sleep training is something that a family would do if... They're not getting any. And um, and you've hit your wall. Why um, do you think there's such controversy around it? Because I think that... Why do I think there's such controversy around it? I think, you know... I think there's been a bad rap for um, what people call cry it out. Mm-hmm. And not perhaps knowing what that exactly means. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think attached to that, because nobody wants to have their baby or child cry or suffer and be the cause, perhaps, of that crying and that suffering. Mm -hmm. So I think 
some of it is the controversy or the misunderstanding or the miseducation or the judgment around what that is. And I will also say, connected to that, sleep training doesn't always necessarily mean that your baby's going to cry or quote unquote, cry it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's, a, there's a range of what it can mean. Yeah, I know that when I reached out to you when my son was almost four months and we talked about mm-hmm. it, it mm-hmm. really changed our whole family. And then with Sage, my daughter, um, we knew that we we're going to do it at four months and mm-hmm. we're so looking forward to it because prior to you giving us some guidance of how to have him figure out how to sleep on his own, Mm-hmm. I was basically sitting in the rocking chair, the glider, and nursing him down, and then he would finally go down, and then ever so gently, yeah. you know, tippy-toe into the bedroom, gently yeah, yeah. deposit him in the crib, and then back away slowly and carefully, and then be fearful that right. any sound could wake him up, because that process could take a while, and oh, I just yeah. felt like I was trapped every night. Mm-hmm. To the Mm -hmm. glider. And then after every feeding at that age, same thing, just have to get him down. So when you gave us these tools, Mm -hmm. it just created this almost like a a new experience of parenthood. All of a sudden, my husband Mm -hmm. and I were like, hey, how you doing? Haven't seen you for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it became kind of um, a fun little experiment that because we had him in his room, we were in a one bedroom. He was Mm -hmm. in our room and we were in the living room. Mm -hmm. It kind of became fun again. We're like eating and watching a movie and just the two of us where prior could have been like 9, 9.30 and I'm still sitting in the glider trying to get him down. Well, that's why very, I believe very much so it's a family affair. Mm -hmm. So if If however sleep looks in your family, if it's working for the family, then it's working. Mm -hmm. And that might be co-sleeping for some. That might be taking shifts for some. Who knows? But it it is a family affair. If it is not working, if if the baby is miserable or you and your partner are arguing all the time or at 3 o'clock in the morning, it's the great debate, how do we handle (laughs) this one, then it's not then it's not functioning so well. And if it's not functioning well in your relationship, then it's not going to function well as a family. Mm-hmm. And so that's why sleep is a, is a family affair. And and everybody needs, well, the parents need to be on the same page with what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Um, and again, that can mean a range. I, I think I'll, back to that question about, you know, What's the controversy? Mm-hmm. I think some people think that sleep training means, good night, honey, I'll see you in 12 hours. They put the baby down in the crib and they walk away 12 hours later, they come back. And whatever's happened in that 12 hours, mom and dad aren't. And I'm giving an extreme example, but mom and dad are not involved in that. Um, that, of course, is not what sleep training is. Sleep training is as subtle and as little as much about the mom, the parents, not the mom, but the parents, um, uh, as it is about creating a, a system of support that helps your baby learn how to perhaps fall asleep on their own and um, get back to sleep when they wake. So the benefit, how would you describe the benefits for the baby? Well, often feedings become better. Um, more efficient. Um, and I, let me also say that 
just because you sleep train doesn't mean you're not going to nurse or bottle feed during the night. But feeds become more efficient, so that's good. Um, Sleeping at night can help with sleeping during the day, which can help with sleeping at night. Mm-hmm. Sleep begets sleep. Which is sleep. good. Sleep begets sleep. That's right. Um, and um, the whole sleep is important. It's brain where we function. kind of, we brain function. That's where adults can rest and babies can rest and re- regroup. And lots of the learning and development and growth happens during those restful, resting hours. So... Um, and it's a learned thing. It's not just very few babies sleep like a baby. That doesn't mean anything. So sleep is is learned. And, um, you know, often the baby that's now six years or nine years old that isn't sleeping well, perhaps, not always, of course, not always, but perhaps didn't ever learn how to get down and get themselves back down to sleep. Yeah, the sleeping schedule. Now, I know my husband, I know this is kind of like a bell-shaped curve. The, my husband, I've definitely taken it to um, maybe a little extreme in the sense I know my my mom, my in-laws think we're a little crazy about this. But we very much protected the sleep mm-hmm. of my kids um, as well as their nap. And mm-hmm. now it it's very functional. And I really think it's because Mm -hmm. we started so early, like, you know, with Mm -hmm. your help, like you taught us how to do it. And then I really adhered to the Mm -hmm. nap schedule. And of course, then I consulted Mm -hmm. with you when we moved from like three naps to two naps to Mm -hmm. one nap. And Mm -hmm. even now, um, there's no arguing about sleep. Um, it's very set. They're early sleepers. You know, we have a routine as you know me Mm -hmm. pretty well. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. overly organized and a little neurotic that way. Um, (laughs) but it's very, you know, set that Sage goes into her crib. She still loves Mm -hmm. her crib, has Mm -hmm. milk, brushes her teeth, reads a story, says, good night, done. Mm -hmm. Shay, we go upstairs, he uses the potty, brushes teeth, read a story, Mm -hmm. say good night, done. And there's Mm -hmm. no drama around it. I think that's because we set this up from, Mm -hmm four months, you know, mm-hmm. so we have many other issues, many, 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 but <laughs> when it comes to, <laughs> but not that one, but not that one. Right. But, and we even right. now, like, and we basically had to stop Shay's nap because he went to, uh, because his preschool expanded, yeah. but basically yeah. because it was something that gave myself, my husband such a break. And I think it was more yeah. for our mental sanity as much as the health and function of our kids. Like after seven thirty, close to eight, if I'm still with kids, I go down a big, bad, dark rabbit hole. Like I've, I take that time for myself and I need that time Mm -hmm. um, as well as nap time. So it's very much worked for our family. So can you talk about that? Yeah. yeah. Well, let me just say that, you know, your mental sanity, that's exactly it. That's exactly right. And it needs to be a consideration. It needs to work for Deb and her husband and whoever the parents are of the children that we're talking about it needs to work for everybody and that you know happy happy baby happy family mm-hmm. vice versa so when is an appropriate age to sleep train and is there ever a point where maybe someone kind of missed a certain window can they later can they help sleep train mhm so, yes, uh, to that last part, it's it's never too late. There's always ways to make changes. Um, you know, 
even if they're in elementary school or preschool, there's various cognitive behavioral ways that you would work with your young child, um, you know, that would would put into place the systems necessary and the support necessary to give your child a better night's sleep. Uh, and for uh, when is, you know, when is too young or when is, when would somebody start? It depends on the family. Uh, you know, often I would not do um, the more quote unquote rigorous sleep training before four months. Um, but there's things that families can be doing with their babies, their infants, their newborns prior to four months that sort of set a stage, set a rhythm, uh, allow the family to be more mindful of certain things um, that might or might not work, but in the bigger picture will be cues for that baby for when you do, if you have to, when you you do sleep train. So and that what are might some be some of those. What would some of those mm-hmm. examples be? Yeah. So it might be um at around six weeks or so, you might start doing a bedtime routine. Now that bedtime routine might be for your baby at eleven o'clock or might be at ten o'clock or might be still at midnight or might be at seven thirty or eight. But whenever that falls, whenever that happens Start being mindful or intentional about what those cues are at night, whether it's, you know, a bath and a, you know, and uh, feeding and then a book or a song and then the lights and then, you know, or or whatever simple combination of things that in the big picture, almost anybody could adhere to. Um, But so that later on, and maybe even not that far later on, those things become cues. Cues for the baby. They know this is what is what happens next. Most babies, most humans, really, do well with a fair amount of structure and mm-hmm. routine and thrive on it. And I think you probably saw that with your kids and how your family functioned Uh, when you were able to put and stick with the routine. So in-laws, you know, be damned. We're going to do this anyway because it works. Yeah, it really does work for our family. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And it's almost like they expect there was one time where we came home late and we weren't going to do a bath. And she's like, what, we're not going to have our bath? And I'm like, yes, we will. And I did like the world's fastest bath. But I guess, you know, there's some sort of um, security in in routine for my children. Maybe not every child, but they find, I think like they know this comes next and this comes next and it just makes them feel good. Yes. Well, there's some control when, you know... There's some control, you know, and there might be a point where some of that is um, you, you meet some resistance, you know, but 
that's okay too. But there's still a piece where having that structure can set an expectation. Um, so there's no question around it. It's a healthy boundary. It's a healthy limit. And every family needs that, you know, in varying degrees, mm-hmm. in varying degrees. So some of what, you know, how you can start doing those things, as I was saying before, it's like setting up those things, those cues. You could do it as early as six weeks. That still might not mean that you're going to be doing quote unquote sleep training, but you're putting some things in place. You're I just also introducing a, a slight structure. That's right. That's right. I am also a, um, a believer in swaddling your baby um, before bed. So that's often a good part of an evening routine and, and, um, you know, that any sleep, just neurologically, any sleep that your baby will get, um, will be better and perhaps slightly longer if swaddled versus if not swaddled. When do they stop? The stop swaddling is when they're rolling over, right? Yeah. When they start start rolling over is often when people stop. When they start to break out of their swaddle. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And sometimes even the breakout might be, maybe we got to work on that swaddle technique. Maybe we need, you know, the kind with the Velcro or whatever. I mean, I would just look at that. But, yes, otherwise, those are the times because you don't want a loose blanket in the in the crib or whatever. So there's a few different types of sleep training. As you mentioned, there's mm-hmm. like the whole cry it out, then there's the modified. Mm-hmm. Would you talk a little bit about some of the different methods, if you will, and then your own theory? Because I really found the way you approached it was very digestible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like shut the door, see you later, you know, mm-hmm. 12 hours, good luck, kid. So if you don't mm-hmm. mind just kind of commenting on some of the different types and a little bit about your own theory. Okay. So, you know, I think some of the different types are, uh, as you mentioned, and, you know, this is, it's researched, but it's not researched, but we do know Ferber, who does, and Weissbluth for that matter, who does the kind of the extinction um, method of, of sleep training uh, where you add increments of time, uh, to uh, your intervention uh, uh, with your baby. Um, there's the no-cry sleep solution, uh, apparently, um, where you her, her views are, you know, you wouldn't let your baby have any discomfort during the process, theoretically, and... Um, you would te- attend to the baby, um, getting becoming a- a- as you're becoming less and less sort of in charge of all of the baby sleep. I would say that I and there's others, of course, as well, Jenny Nadell and a whole bunch of others. But I, I do think that my work, and perhaps this is just a social work perspective is I work with where the family is at. So what has the family done already? What has or has not worked? How old is the baby? What do you see as the pattern so far? Um, I would never, as I said before, suggest, you know, if you're feeding your baby prior to doing any sleep training, 
three or four times during the night, my suggestion wouldn't be just to drop it down to zero feeds a night. You want to do less and you'd work your way backwards. If you're spending an hour and a half in the rocking chair until your baby is so passed out that you hopefully can get your baby, as you were describing, in the crib as you tippy, tippy, tippy <laughs> toe away, then maybe you want to give it an opportunity where you're doing it a little, putting the baby in the crib slightly before you've been in the rocking chair for an hour and a half. Um, things can be incremental. Things can be more abrupt. And a lot of things depend on what your level of comfort is as a parent, what you've already tried, and what you're willing to try. So I think it's most important to, to begin the process with that and then come up with a plan that sets the baby and the parents up for success. Mm-hmm. You know, and that might be, you know, sitting in a chair next to the crib until the baby's asleep versus having the baby sleep on you until you put the baby in the crib mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, and I will also say if, if people are co-sleeping, you can also still sleep train um, or work with sleep. And it will look different um, or you make, might make different decisions. But that doesn't mean co-sleeping shouldn't mean that everybody's awake all night long. Right either. One thing I found interesting about the method that you taught me was about, it was very small increments of letting him cry. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. hours. I think like it was like two minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you had something about a red alert cry Mm -hmm. and then less Uh, to more. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I think um, attunement to your baby is really important. So how that translates into the work you do with your baby with sleep is you're going to be listening to the quality of their cry because we all know what's, I'm pissed, um, I'm a little upset, I'm freaking out, red alert. We all sort of become more aware of those differences in cries Mm -hmm. and it's the red alert that's the one that we're going to be responding to when we intervene and depending on the family and depending on what you've done before and depending on the age and stage of your baby, um, you will time that red alert. If that's the technique that you're, you're using, but you're not going to, and you know, and it might be a feed thing that you're doing, Um, Or it might be just like a, hey, I'm your cheerleader. You're okay. I'm okay. I'm not abandoning you. If you continue to cry, I'll, I'll come back. But giving your baby the opportunity to try to figure it out. And that might be a little uncomfortable for everybody. 
Yeah, but we it's were an there. We were there, like ar- not arguing, but been like, "Is that a red alert cry?" And Joey's like, "No, I don't think so." I'm like, yeah, that is a red alert cry. Now we're going in. <laughs> um, and then, like, we'd go in. Yeah. And I remember saying, like, "Less to more." Like, don't immediately pick up the baby, but maybe just put a mm-hmm. hand on the baby or mm-hmm. talk to the baby. Mm-hmm. Like, "Hi, I'm here. It's all good. Good luck. We love you. Yeah. We trust you." And then we'd back yeah. out and be like, "Now it's a three minute timing." So yeah. I do yeah. remember sitting in our kitchen trying to analyze. <laughs> the quality right. of the cry right. and then having right. to right. both agree on, yes, that is a red alert. Right. We That's will go in. One. Right. Right. Yeah. And then I'm glad you bring that up to the, the least to most intervention, right? So the most intervention for your family might be, uh, I'm pulling that baby into the, to the bed and I'm nursing that baby until we're both asleep with my, you know, boob in my baby's mouth. Yeah. That might be the most intervention. And the least intervention might be, I do nothing. I don't go in yet. But in between those two things, depending on what your goal is, what the age of your baby is, um, there's a lot of pieces in between. But yes, it's going to be important and clearly a learning curve with you and your partner agreeing on what is a red alert and you and your partner agreeing with um, how you're going to handle the intervention and coming up with the plan is going to be the most important part. I often liken it to like basically any diet will work if you stick to a diet of any kind, Mm -hmm. but what's going to work best for you might be different than what works best for me. Mm -hmm. If I want to, you know, say lose weight. Right. So any, you know, it's going to be the plan that's going to be the most important part and the consistency that's going to be the most important part. Um, and setting yourself up for success and your child or baby up for success might mean a plan and consistency with what am I capable of being consistent of? Can I hear my baby cry for 10 minutes or can I only hear my baby be uncomfortable for one or two minutes? Well, if it's only one or two minutes, then okay, that's some good information. Some other good information might be if my baby's crying and I go in and the second I put my hand on my baby, my baby quiets down, that's good information. Mm-hmm. Or the second I go in to intervene, my baby ramps up, that's good intervention. That's good information. And so there's going to be a little bit of trial and error, just knowing your child, that attunement I was talking about, that will inform what your plan is going to be and how you're going to work it. So your approach is so individual, which I like because I have access to. What does Mm -hmm. a parent do if they don't have someone they can talk it over with. Like one thing I loved mm-hmm. is that you and I checked in with each other regularly. Like, how's it going? Okay. Let's try to move nap time to this. All right. You know, you're mm-hmm. at three feedings a night and I know that's driving you crazy. Let's try two. Mm-hmm. don't go into the room before 3am. Like you were able to really guide me. Um, mm-hmm. what does a parent do if they don't have that person, that life raft to reach out to me? Like, what am I doing mm-hmm. next? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think utilizing some of the, the tools we just spoke of, like yeah. a plan and consistency. If you're going to go buy a 
you know, go follow a particular book. Mm-hmm. Don't follow, read three or four or five books. Read one book. Read one book. Yeah, I guess it's like diet. Like you wouldn't do five different diets at the same time. You would try right. one, see if it right. works, give it some time. Right, right. You know, if you're in, and some t- not all, not all, not all, and you will know your pediatrician better than, than others, but, you know, some pediatricians can be helpful with this kind of thing. Sometimes even just starting this, just checking in with the pediatrician, hey, is it okay if we're not feeding Timmy five times a night? Or does Timmy still need to eat five times a night? Um, or some families need to wake up their baby to feed. Um, and have <laughs> I've been heard doing of that. that I don't get so it. I right? never had well, that. yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if they're slow birth weight, so, you know, that might not be the, you're not going to want to skip any feeds with that particular baby. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe they're past that stage. They're doing fine with weight, but they're now in a habit of waking so much, you know, what do you do to extend it? And sometimes some of the stuff to extend it, um, if you don't have that lifeline, so to speak, or a support group or someone who's done this before, um, sometimes it's some of those things that we mentioned, the least to most, coming up with the plan, uh, um, having cues in the beginning of the night. Um, Depending on the age of your baby, during the day, um, if you're napping your child, for example, you know, for the baby that's, uh, say four to four to eight months, three to eight months, every hour and a half, they're still going down for a nap. So, you know, off- offering, giving a uh, nap app opportunities and the better rest during the day they get, the better chance they are of getting down and staying down at night. So sleep training, just to clarify, um, mm-hmm. not just a nighttime, but a whole day routine as well. So being consistent on nap times is going to help the baby learn, okay, this is nap time. Like Sage still knows, like one o'clock, she's ready to go down. Yeah. Her body knows it at this yeah. point. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you are having trouble with day and night sleeping, I wouldn't suggest attempting all of it at once. Mm-hmm. That would be too much and too exhausting and for everybody. Usually, usually, not always, but usually in those circumstances, I would say, nap your baby by any means necessary during the day with, and keep certain parameters in mind. For example, maybe the hour and a half between sleep, um, sleep for, try to rest your baby for at least an hour 45 minutes to an hour at each sleep time. Um, And then just work strictly with the night. Once the night is set for, say, a week or so, then you could start working with regulating and systematizing the naps. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do affect each other for sure. No, it's absolutely great. And then do you have anything about... And your thoughts about how babies, maybe the length of a nap, it shouldn't be longer than whatever, or in the day, if you want your baby to get down relatively early, it, the nap should end by any specific time, or is that really just mm-hmm. on the schedule of the family? Um, it's not just, on, I mean, there's a, both, I guess. So I would say uh, for a good chunk of the baby's 
babyhood mm-hmm. uh, up until a year ish. Uh, you know, it's every hour and a half their body is ready for sleep. When they hit about eight or nine months, it's cut down to they've dropped the fourth nap, the fifth nap um, by six months, and then by eight months they're down to two naps a day. That's mm-hmm. fairly typical. Okay. Um, when you are talking about should I ever wake my baby from a nap? Yes, you should if. You should wake up your baby from a nap if it's going into what would be a feed time. So if your baby is eating like every three hours and now they, for some miraculous reason, they have slept and they're going into their third plus hour, you want to wake them up because you don't want them to be making up for calories at 3 (laughs) a.m. or 2 a.m. They might be having a real sleepy day and so they might go right back to sleep within a half an hour, 45 minutes. That's okay. You got the feed in. The other place where you want to be mindful of when they are sleeping or perhaps sleeping too long is if you've sort of, you know, they're at a stage and you sort of systematized your baby's nighttime sleep and um, and you might find this with Sage, if she's going to bed at, I'm just saying, 7 o'clock, uh-huh. you don't necessarily want her waking from that last nap at um, 6 o'clock or 5.30 or 5 o'clock. Right. You want to you spread. So depending on their age, there's different spreads of time. Um, at, say, 7 months or so, it's going to be a couple hours uh, between waking from that last nap and head hitting the pillow for nighttime sleep. If it's for a baby that's, say, nine months old, um, it's going to be about four hours between waking from that last nap and putting down for sleep. And this all can somewhat be regulated or patterned, I should say, when you see your baby waking up sort of within the same window every morning Mm -hmm. because your baby's child's inner clock is 12 hours on, 12 hours off. That doesn't mean they'll sleep for 12 hours solid without any wake-ups or without any feeds, but that's sort of the the clock. So if they're waking up at 7 o'clock in the morning, most likely by about 7 at night, give or take, their head is ready to hit the pillow at night. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Okay. When do they drop down to just one nap a day? Mm-hmm. It varies 15 to 18 months mm-hmm. often. Yeah, we tried do to recall? keep... Yeah, yeah um, we did that. Yeah. And then we, we really... We were lucky that Shay kept his nap literally until like... He was already four when he dropped oh. his nap. And that was only for school. And it was great sadness, too. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Joey. 
Um, cause uh-huh. he's a kid that really needs sleep. So yeah, yeah we tried to keep it yeah. even in uh, Sage's preschool right mm-hmm. now. Um, I was really, they're like, Oh, a lot of the two and a half year olds, they lose their nap. I'm like, we will not. Yeah. <laughs> right. That will be everybody but to, my child. Yeah. yeah. By state right. law, they have to give them quiet time, Provide like, no, them. but we don't really try to get them to nap. And then when mm-hmm. I explained how important it is, they have the last few days have gotten her to nap as well as another girl. And she's now right. getting hour and a half naps there, which is great. Vitally important. Cause when she doesn't, she's a wreck. Um, yeah, that's Right. She's crazy. And when your baby, when your child, toddler, baby, um, misses that nap, um, for whatever reason, uh, um, the bedtime can be a little bit earlier mm-hmm. if that, that sometimes is a way to make up for it, but isn't what you should count on. I, you're right. You mean most, most children four is a little later, but you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, most children keep at least one nap till they're three. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, kind of moving to a different topic. I remember mm-hmm. you taught me something that really stuck in my head about sleep cues because in the mm-hmm. beginning, Joey and I was like, oh my God, he's so funny. But you're like, wired is tired. Right, and right, I'm right, like, right. Oh, so when mm-hmm. he's acting hilarious and we think we just have a really funny child, he's actually <laughs> telling us he's, he, he's deliriously <laughs> tired. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So that yeah. kind of stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah, if they're if they're yawning, they're often have they're they're almost they're about to miss the window kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, if they're as as an infant, when they become extra twitchy, if they uh, are not keeping eye contact with you, and that's been something they're doing, if they're um, um, hiccuping, those are also signs of tired. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so if someone doesn't have quite a schedule yet, but they're seeing those signs, they should try mm-hmm. as best they can to get them down. What are your thoughts about um, naps always in the crib? That's the perfect world. Yeah. That's not where we all Yeah, and like, again, I took your word a little too for gospel. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we rarely did sleep outside, and yeah. it really... You know, it was a little confining, but then it's just how it's mm-hmm. shaped our day. And because mm-hmm. of that, our kids didn't really ever sleep well in strollers. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of wish at times they didn't. They do sleep in the car. But your thought is that in the crib, best. Do you think they get less quality sleep if they're trying? If you're trying to nap them in the stroller? I think that that has a potential. So the first nap of the day is the most important nap of the day because that's an extension of the nighttime sleep, especially for the younger baby. Um, as the day moves forward, naps become harder and harder. When you live in New York City and you're living in four small walls, you can go stir crazy working all day on trying to get your baby to sleep. Hence the stroller nap for a lot of people. Or wearing it is the baby. Not, or wearing the baby, exactly. And, and that's perhaps... Not the perfect scenario, but that might be the only scenario your baby will do. Mm-hmm. I would say do what works. And if it doesn't work, that's something to look at. And if you want to try something different and you find that that works better, then that's the, that's the thing you, that becomes for your situation. And I, we ended up doing the same thing with my kids. You make that the new normal. So maybe there's times where 
you might skip a nap or you might be on the road, but you know, or you might be, they might be worn or in a stroller and it's not ideal. And there's a, there's a meltdown and it gets harder to go, but it might work and it might work just fine enough to make that be the balance that your family needs. Yeah. And so it's, again, it's individualized. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, having worked with you with both my kids, I still took a different mm-hmm. approach for the second. I think if anyone that's listening to second time mom, you can mm-hmm. well and good say, of course I can do this with the first, but you can't mm-hmm. necessarily follow the same thing with the second. So, you know, I remember many times really adhering to Sage's first nap. And by mm-hmm. the second one, we had to get outside. And yeah. especially the late afternoon, luckily she was a good sleeper in the ergo, but it was mm-hmm. the only option. So there was a moment again of guilt of like, oh, I didn't quite do the same first and second, right. but we had to make right. it work for our family. With the first child, but, it you know, we can really schedule everything, but the That's second, right. You have the luxury of not following anybody else's schedule. Yeah. But yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so that was a little challenging. So are there any mm-hmm. last tips that you want to give to someone that might be struggling with theirs or just considering it or um, a pregnant mom thinking of like, oh, I guess I need to sleep train at some point or the mom that mm-hmm. is kind of at her wit's end? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think some of the things to think about, um, again, I'll, I'll say is um, a sleep plan. If you're reading a book, stick to one book or um, being on the same page as your partner if you're doing it with somebody. Um, For a very young baby, skin-to-skin contact is very soothing. And sometimes that's all that's needed is just some soothing. Um, uh, Remember the windows. So if the window, you know, and for a newborn, the window might be every hour uh, that the baby, the baby's body, not necessarily capability, but the baby's body is ready to sleep. And for the baby that's like six weeks up, it's every hour and a half. So if you see those signs that we were talking about before, the hiccups, the not the eye contact, the missing the window. And you're like, hmm, what's going on here? Well, look at your watch. Is it has it been an hour and a quarter or so? Maybe it's time that you get your baby to take, try to take a nap. It might not work, and it might work. But giving your baby the opportunity, you never if you give him or her the opportunity, um, they might rise to that opportunity. Um, if you can put the baby down awake, a drowsy, you know, put the baby down drowsy and not asleep. If that's possible, it's not always possible. Um, sometimes that'll take a number of attempts and, ta- and time. During the day, fresh air and natural light in between naps is really helpful. Um, remembering least to most interventions is can be very helpful. Morning naps are the most important nap of the day, especially for the younger baby. Um, and those are, you know, those are just some of the things that that families might consider if they're having a rough time. And and one last question: Would there so someone that might be listening, starting to get on board? Would there be any uh, downside to sleep training? So we've talked about all the benefits and how mm-hmm. to form this. Just to kind of get a full picture, is there any reason that someone may choose not to sleep train? 
I'm sure there is <laughs> that I haven't thought of. <laughs> I mean, it can, I is, it detri- think, is there any possibility it could be detrimental for the baby? Well, I think it's really important before you attempt to do something so different that you check in with your baby's pediatrician. There might be some reason. It's rare. But when in doubt, ask the pediatrician. There might be something that when describing it to the pediatrician, they see as some kind of alert that you wouldn't know of. Um, Again, very rare. But the pediatrician's a phone call or an email away. This is all great. This is important. And I think this is something for someone to think about. They now have hopefully a very full picture of Mm -hmm. the benefits tools and for any reason that they may not so mm-hmm. i want to thank you jess for oh, popping on pleasure. you and i are not the most technically savvy and we no, figured out geez. how to do this so it's a miracle yay for us um mm-hmm. <laughs> and for those that are in the new york city area if you do want to work with jess i'm going to put her contact information in our show notes and i know okay. that you actually have worked you obviously can't do the same house visits with those not in the area because i know you worked with my friend jen and who was up mm-hmm. in massachusetts so mm-hmm. So again, mm-hmm. if you're not in the area but still want to work with Jess, you won't get the, the house calls, but you can still get her amazing advice and reaching out to her. And what I think is special about a sleep consultant, if it works for your family, is that she checks in with you and can redo the plan should be, so should need be. So I just want to plug that, you know, I think Thank you're you. fantastic. Yeah. And, Thank you. you know, if there's, if that's the path people want to take, whether it's Jess or someone else, having support and guidance is always helpful. So Absolutely. thank you so much. And oh, I'll right, see you around pleasure. the studio. And then for okay. those that are listening, um, please take a moment to go to iTunes or Stitcher and rate and review us. And I'll catch you next time. All right. Bye, Jess. Bye, Deb. Take good care. You bye. too. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.